your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. We've made it to the end of season seven. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation about summer blockbusters. I have had so much fun with the rewatches and planning out each episode. I feel really good about this format. Do you have thoughts on this? Do you like more info about the movies? I've really enjoyed diving into the directors and who wrote it and what else was playing at that time and how the movies that we're discussing kind of fall into that bigger picture movie landscape throughout the year. Let me know your thoughts or if you have any other sections that you think I should add, let me know. I just, I had a really good time this season planning all of this out. It was a lot of fun for me. Hopefully it was a lot of fun for you. There is, however, one last movie we get to explore, a movie I did not see in theaters and one I didn't expect to like as much as I do, and that is 2014's Edge of Tomorrow. The movie was directed by Doug Lyman. You've prob- you're probably familiar with some of his works. He also directed Swingers, The Born Identity, Chaos Walking, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and American Maid, also starring Tom Cruise. Apparently, he's working on a remake of the Patrick Swayze classic Roadhouse. <laughs> do, do we need another one? I don't know. Uh, it looks like Jake Gyllenhaal is connected to the film, which then that makes me laugh. I, I don't know why I find that as amusing as I do, but hey. So as IMDb also shows an untitled Noah Centineo Netflix spy project in post-production and an untitled Tom Cruise SpaceX project in pre-production. So More coming from Lyman soon, I guess. The story is based on a Japanese novel called All You Need Is Kill. Usually, a production company will make a pitch to a studio, right? So to purchase the rights for the property. So somebody would be like, hey, I really like this book. I think we could turn it into a movie and they do a pitch. But this time, Viz Productions developed a spec script. Did a little research and according to the highly authoritative site Wikipedia, a spec script reads differently from a shooting script or a production script. There's more focus on the story itself instead of including camera movements and directing aspects. It's meant to showcase a screenwriter's talent at telling a story through action and dialogue. Anyway, so Warner Brothers purchases the rights for $3 million in April 2010, and Lyman was hired to direct the film the following August. Not to film in August. He was hired to direct in August. <laughs> it sounds like screen, the screenplay was passed through many hands throughout the process. Christopher McQuarrie and Jez and John Henry Butterworth, oh, that's a great name, John Henry Butterworth, were credited as writers. In fact, Roberto Orsi and Alex Kortzman, who we talked about a few episodes ago with Transformers, were involved and created a draft of their own. Edge of Tomorrow came out on June 6th, 2014, and its biggest competition was The Fault in Our Stars that month, which I think is interesting. The movie stars Tom Cruise. Read that Brad Pitt was originally signed on for the role. That could have been an interesting twist. Uh, Emily Blunt, who was a surprise action star. She, of course, has done more action since in The Quiet Place and uh, Jungle Cruise, which... I really like Jungle Cruise. I think it's a fun movie. It is also one of my favorite rides at the Magic Kingdom. Every time they say the backside of water, I just laugh hysterically. And so all of their puns really work on me. There was one time I was on the ride and I was the only one laughing and I was totally cool with that. 
So she's, you know, she's been in more action things, but I'd be happy if someone gave her just like a really big franchise of her own. We see Bill Paxton has a small role. Do miss Bill Paxton. Brendan Gleeson and Charlotte Riley, which I'm throwing in because Charlotte Riley is Tom Hardy's wife, and she does an excellent job playing a rough around the red edges soldier. She's got this accent, and she just <laughs> really tough and kind of hardened, and I really enjoy her. We don't see her much, but I enjoy her. As mentioned, The Fault in Our Stars was released on the same day. Other films that came out that summer, 22 Jump Street, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Jersey Boys, Transformers Age of Extinction, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Boyhood, Snowpiercer. Don't sleep on Snowpiercer. It is an excellent movie, an excellent dystopia. Uh, Chris Evans is in it. It just, oh, it's wonderful. I really like that one. Hercules, the one with Dwayne Johnson, came out that year. Guardians of the Galaxy, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and The Expendables 3. So the movie had an estimated budget of $178 million. It only made $28 million at the box office during its opening weekend. That's kind of ouch. It would go on to make $100 million domestically and over $370 million worldwide, which is a shame. It got decent reviews from the critics, but I think... Viewers were distracted by Michael Bay and Marvel, so it just kind of got forgotten. Another year when sequels and IP almost completely fill up the highest grossing films list. Interstellar sneaks on in 10th place under shape-shifting alien robots and first, more hobbits, superheroes, apes, tributes, and an angry Disney witch. So on to the, the movie summary. Let's give this a whirl. So aliens have invaded the Earth again because that seems to happen from time to time during the summer. And they seem to be winning the war that's raging in many places, but it's looking like our focus is kind of on France, the beaches of France. It's very reminiscent of the invasion of Normandy, which I think was on purpose, probably on purpose. (laughs) So the aliens are known as mimics. And since humans are like losing, they decide to band together to create the United Defense Force or the UDF, a a global military alliance. They managed to finally achieve a victory against the mimics in Verdun because they used these new robot mech suit things. So almost like you put a human in a robot kind of thing. So it gives them a a mechanical exoskeleton that they can walk around in makes them stronger and can jump fat higher and makes them a little faster and has lots of weaponry on it. So now the UDF decides to plan a major invasion of France and general Brigham, who's played by Gleason wants a public affairs officer, major William cage or Tom Cruise to cover the invasion. So he goes over to do that. Cage isn't heavy, but then Brig he does not know he's going to be sent to the front. And Brigham's like, no, we're going to send you to where the battle is. And Cage just isn't too happy about that. Doesn't really want to be around active combat. He's not actually a soldier. He didn't enlist in that typical way because he wants to save people. He's just a marketing guy. He's a PR guy. So he's not excited about being out on the battlefield. He then um, kind of takes it a step further of just being angry and decides to openly blackmail Brigham, say, you know what, if you send me to the front, if this goes poorly, I am just going to smear you in the media that this is going to be all your fault. (laughs) So he gets knocked out by a guard and he wakes up the next day. Um, He's been arrested and he ends up at Heathrow Airport 
the morning of the invasion is supposed to happen in France. And he's then demoted to a private and assigned to the misfit J squad. So Brigham's like, neener, neener, I get the last say. You are now going to actually be in the battle, not just covering it. Um, So it's clear that as soon as they land in France, they're all going to die. This poor misfit J squad, he has no idea how to use the exoskeleton cage doesn't. It's clear they're all going to die because the battle is not going well. And as soon as they land in, you know, that, that's what happens. The squad is quickly killed. As soon as they land, they're dead. And somehow Cage, though, is still running around the beach, <laughs> completely inept. He doesn't know how to take the safeties off the guns on the suit. I mean, he has no idea what he's doing. Until by chance, he uses a mine that's in the beach to kill an unusually large blue mimic. And that's important because it turns out that this mimic is an alpha. And by killing it and kind of getting covered in its blood... Cage wakes up in a loop, a time loop, um, after he's killed in battle. So the mimic, he gets the mimic's blood on him, and then he's immediately killed. But he wakes up again, and he's right back where he started that same morning, the morning of the invasion at Heathrow Airport. So now we are in a, a Groundhog Day situation. Same day, happening over and over and over again. Cage dying again and again and again. No matter what he does, he can't seem to change what happens. So he decides to go look for the savior of the Verdun battle, the soldier that kind of led them to victory, Sergeant Rita Veratsky. Turns out she was once in the loop. That's how they won in Verdun, because she was doing it over and over and over again until she won. And and so she tells Cage about a vision she had while she was in the loop about the Omega, an organism that is basically hmm, the kind of the shared brain of all the mimics. If you destroy the Omega, you destroy the aliens. So together they start looking for the Omega. They are trying to get through the battle um, to where they think that the Omega could be. So Rita is training Cage. Cage is finding her each morning and having to re-explain the situation because she's no longer in the loop. So at some point we find out that she has had a blood transfusion. And once you get the blood transfusion and the alien blood is out of your body, then you're out of the loop. And so they are both also just trying to figure out where the Omega is located. And there's some scientist-like guy that's also in on it. He must have been in on the loop when she was in it. And so he remembers the conversations that he had with her. But again, every time Tom Cruise comes to him, they're starting over from scratch. They eventually track the brain thing, the Omega, to Paris. And they somehow convince the J-Squad to go with them. Because again, they are meeting, the J-Squad is meeting Cage for the first time every single day, but he's gotten to know them really well. I mean, he can tell them what they're about to say because he's done it every day for the last, I don't know. We, I don't know how many days he was in the loop. Um, I should also note that at this point, when before they go to Paris, Cage is also no longer in the loop. Um, so they had gone to London to try to talk to Brigham and see if he knew or had any idea of where the Omega was. Um, and he ends up, there's, they get in trouble. There's a fight and he gets hit by a car cage does. And so he needs a blood transfusion. So he's no longer in the loop. So spoiler, they're in Paris, the J squad cage and Rita, they all die in the process. (laughs) And cage though, finds the Omega and kills it with several grenades, just moments, um, before he dies. So then he wakes up full memory of what happened the morning he was set to meet with General Brigham. So it's back. He's on the plane 
heading to London to first talk to Brigham. It's kind of reset him before it had been resetting him before. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Uh, but that like at the very beginning of that fateful morning that his first loop started with the news, though, that there was an energy surge in Paris the night before that had weakened the mimics and the J squad and Rita are all still alive. Um, and they're well, but they don't have any recollection of who he is. They have no idea who he is. And that's the end. The mimic, they've, they have figured out a way the mimics have now been weakened and they can, they can win. They can beat the aliens. So I really like this movie for all his crazy, crazy kookiness and the destructive cult he's a part of in Scientology. Tom Cruise is a mesmerizing action star. He's athletic, has a semi-ridiculous run, and it's obvious he's willing to risk his own life for a good stunt. I'm sure it's a hard movie to kind of script out. There were, I mean, there's some issues that I do have with it. They, they try to make you believe that there's some kind of romantic attachment between Cage and Rita, which makes no sense because Rita is meeting him for the first time every single day. So while he might be developing feelings for her, there would be no time for her to be developing it for them. So I'm sure it's kind of hard to script this out. You have to show all of the failed attempts too. So you don't have, you don't just don't get a lot of time for actual character and relationship development because it's more about the failed attempts than it is about the character itself, which I think because there's such high stakes, it's different in that sense than from like Groundhog's Day, which that is all character development. You see him just kind of Bill Murray's character just deteriorate into depression, which we'll talk about in a second, um, over and over and over again, the mundanity of life when you're having to do everything over and over and over again. Overall, though, movie holds up really well. The mimics are very cool to look at and the effects are fantastic. And I, I just really enjoy every rewatch every time I put it on. I really liked it, which leads to the question, though, would I have survived? Well, yes, <laughs> because that's kind of the plot of the movie. But I also, I don't think it would have gotten, I started to think about this. Yes, I would have survived because I, I have mimic blood in me and I'm immortal in a sense for a while. And so I... In its essence, I that's how this, you know, that's how this works. But also, I don't think I would have ever gotten out of the loop <laughs> because I would have gotten so bored with doing things over and over and over again that I'd just been like, mm, I'm out. I'll just, fine, just kill me. Like, kill me over and over. I don't care. Like, I think I would have stopped trying after a while. Tom Cruise's cage is too dedicated to fighting off the aliens. I mean, he's lucky because he's athletic in a way that allows him to fight bad guys. And it's also apparent that he has some rhythm because it's kind of what gets him as far as it gets him before Rita gets involved and starts to train him. I mean, he's dancing around the battlefield. Well, actually, even after he meets Rita, because he's trying to get her through the battle knowing exactly what's going to happen. So they kind of dance through sidestepping tentacled alien mimics through the whole thing. And so that's just, those aren't skills I possess. I do not possess any of that, nor do I think I possess the fortitude to move forward after so many failed attempts. I am more Bill Murray. I think I would be Bill Murray. I would just kind of melt into or Andy Samberg in Palm Springs. I keep forgetting about that one. That has a very similar plot where he gets stuck in a loop. I think I would get totally depressed and just kind of wreak havoc that does no one any good out of sheer boredom. 
I mean, I would like to believe, like, no, I've got to save the human race from the aliens, but I don't know. I don't think I would. <laughs> I think I'd just find something else to do. That sounds horrible. Just don't depend on me if we get invaded by aliens. I think if nothing else, that is what we have learned from this season in apocalyptic scenarios, run away from me. Just run away as fast as you can. Should the characters have survived? You know what? I think they would have. I, I mean, as long as they have the willpower to stay on task, where I apparently do not. Survival is built into the mechanism of the film. Alien blood literally makes Cage immortal until the blood is replaced by another human's blood. So as long as that doesn't happen, I, I do think survival feels inevitable um, for most people, just not me. Plus, I don't think Tom Cruise knows how to fail. He just, that's just not in his DNA. It also could be the Thetans, the body Thetans that make up his being, according to the Bridge of Scientology. Seriously, if you want to hear some crazy stories and have the strange urge to become a lawyer late in life to fight a dangerous cult, watch Leah Remini's Aftermath show on Netflix. It's fascinating and sad and just, it, I, I'm endlessly fascinated by cults. Why? Because I think I could very easily fall into one because I'd be curious about where where we would be going. Like, what is this? Let's try this out. But also, it's just a, a sad story about how we are all looking for something. And this is getting off topic. Um, but just that, you know, the people that are so desperate to under have belonging and self-awareness that they find themselves in these horrible situations and the way people manipulate that, this power play that people have. Cults are just, they are fascinating. Please stop me from getting into one. If you're like, no, Emily, don't do that. Um, I, I will do my very best to hear you and really listen to you. Anyway, a few interesting tidbits about the movie. It was never stated in the movie, but in the manga or the novel, the reason why Rita uses a melee weapon, uh, which is kind of like a giant... Um, it's kind of like a sword or a machete, a giant machete. Uh, it's because during her resets, she would often run out of ammo, which resulted in her deaths each time. She's she's crafty, this one. I like that little tidbit. I wish somehow that had worked itself into the movie. After the film's box office failure in the U.S., it still managed to turn a profit worldwide. Its marketing strategy was changed slightly for its DVD release. In this case, on the front of the video box, the film's tagline was emphasized heavily with the title Edge of Tomorrow in small text at the very bottom of the case. As a result of the packaging, it gives the illusion that the film's title is Live, Die, Repeat. And that's what I thought the movie title was. And that is actually when you organize my my digital collection online of videos that I have purchased, movies I have purchased, it is actually under live, under L. Hmm. Warner Brothers maintained that the title of the film has not been changed and that lived, I repeat, was only a tagline, yet this appears in front of Edge of Tomorrow, not just on the cover, but on the spine of the packaging and even on the discs. The rental company Redbox has the film also listed under L in its kiosks, and online retailers have the digital streaming title Live, die, repeat, edge of tomorrow. That's just why, why that marketing strategy? And it seems to have worked a little. Why did it work? It's, that's cool. Tom Cruise didn't want the exosuits, the mechanical suits that they wear to be too CGI. So it would be more real to the audience. He didn't want to take them out of that. Again, I appreciate moments like that because I think as soon as you do too, too much CGI, you do 
you, you are hitting people in the face with the fact that, hey, this is a movie. It can't be real. So he shows up two months early to research and develop the suit. He thought its weapons were fun and cool, and then Emily Blunt was unprepared for the weight of the suit, which was between 85 and 90 pounds, and the armaments between 120 and 125 pounds. So they were actually wearing these suits having to walk around, which I don't know how they did it. A follow-up to this film is in pre-production. As of March 2020, there is no release date for Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. (laughs) They call it that. I will be forever happy. Director Doug Lyman, Tom Cruise, and Emily Blunt are slated to resume their roles if that ever does come to fruition. And this was filmed almost entirely at Leavesden Studios, where Harry Potter films were made. So very interesting. But that is all we have for today. Oh, we're done. We made it. We made it through season seven. I will be back soon with season eight, and we're going to do all things Jane Austen. Um, between seasons, I'm going to have Watson on to talk about bad movies we love. So we're going to go over a couple movies that are kind of horrible, but we love them anyway. If you have other ideas for seasons or in between um, conversations, I would love to hear them. Make sure you send those to me or If you have a strong desire to be a part of this conversation and would like to hop on the podcast with me, let me know that too. I would love to have you on. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the podcast so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about Well, they can join in on the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. Just give it a share so other people can find us. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you soon. Bye.